welcome to another episode of the Digiday Podcast. I'm Kaylee Barber, Senior Reporter at Digiday. And I'm Tim Peterson, Senior Media Editor at Digiday. Tim, you had the interview this week with Arun Kumar, and he's the Chief Data and Technology Officer at IPG. I take it there was probably much to talk about with the Apple recent iOS update that is limiting ad tracking on its devices, and then of course Google's impending removal of third-party cookies on its Chrome browsers. Did Arun share any opinion on the case for or against tracking? Yeah, yeah, Arun definitely has a lot on his plate these days. Um, I think the one of the most interesting things was he acknowledged that the ad industry hasn't done enough to make a case for tracking and targeted advertising. I, I think you know, on a, a couple times he even said that the ad industry has failed in this respect, which was kind of refreshing to hear. You don't really hear people inside the industry be that honest about it. Yeah. I think right now there's like a mad dash for everyone to just press like don't allow app to track kind of thing. It's just the the go-to kind of move. But, mm-hmm. you know, maybe the advertising industry sees uh, a good argument for the allowing that to happen. But yeah. again, so they, they need to make that argument <laughs> to normal people. Yeah, to understand. absolutely. Um, so I guess what did he say, if anything, about what was needed to kind of resolve some of those issues for gathering individual information and, and then using that in the advertising industry? More regulation, actually, which, again, is was kind of surprising, but at the same time, I mean, you've even had Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg calling for regulation after the Cambridge Analytica scandal, where Arun approached it was just, if we're going to be using personal information for advertising purposes, there needs to be some standardization and baseline that applies to all companies in terms of what personal information can be used um, for advertising purposes so then you can't have he kept you know making the point that apple is limiting tracking but then apple has all still has a lot of information that it's able to use for its own advertising purposes so he was kind of making the argument that the company shouldn't be allowed to take data on the table but then by extension be giving themselves an advantage over others Cool. Well, I'm excited to kind of hear his thoughts about uh, these standardization practices and tracking in general. So I'll let you take it away. Hey, Arun. Welcome to the Digiday podcast. Hi. Uh, thanks for having me. So you are the chief data and technology officer at IPG, which feels like the title of a person who's extremely busy at the moment with all the talk around first-party data, um, the third-party cookie, what Apple's doing both with ATT and now with IP addresses. So imagine a lot of things that you're juggling at the moment. What would you say is the biggest focus area for you or the topic that you are spending the most time thinking about and working on right now? You forgot the word stressed. Like stressed is the middle <laughs> name of my title right now. Um, but what I what I would say is uh, our role is really to ensure that brands have meaningful interactions with people, and that both brands and people benefit from those. So from that point of view, our biggest concern and biggest focus area is connectivity. How do we ensure that people get recognized for what they want, what they need? Um, to have their desires respected, but to also have their needs satisfied. And uh, finding the right balance between respecting privacy and respecting the rights of businesses to conduct business. And that really is to ensure that that connectivity, that flow of information is held secure. So that's where 
we're focused on most, uh, focusing most of our resources, time, and frankly, money on. So how is that manifesting? Like, especially from the consumer standpoint, the regular person standpoint, I feel like one of the challenges the ad industry has faced for a long time is just communicating the value exchange to people. If I'm a person, okay, I maybe accept that I am able to watch this video or read this article for free because there are ads appearing on the article. But why does this ad have to be targeted to me. I'm, I'm already tolerating the ad itself. Why do you need my data for it? What's happening on the industry front to communicate that? Or to what extent is the industry doing anything to communicate that to people? There's a few things to unpack there, right? So the, the, the first thing is, um, I don't think that anyone has communicated the truth about marketing to people. And when I say that, it is true that the advertising and marketing community haven't done themselves any favors by explaining very clearly what the benefits are. Having said that, I don't think that the privacy activists have truly talked to people about the impact of some of their decisions and how it's changing people's lives. Um, so you're right. Uh, there is brands have had relationships with people much before any of these technology platforms have been around. I mean, if you look at some of the world's biggest companies, they've been around for, you know, some of them have been around for 100 years or more, and they have a relationship with people. Now, um, part of the problem is that there is a lot of conflation in terms of a lot of concepts. So the belief is that, um, you know, I understand I'm being served an ad if I give information. Why am I being targeted? It's a very relevant point because not every category needs a level of targeting um, that is, uh, that's being recommended. And that's because of the choice of the word used and the choice of some of the practices. Uh, and I liken it to this, which is in any industry, there are always uh, A, bad actors and B, bad policies. Uh, the difference here, though, is so let, let's take the travel industry, for instance. Um, if there is a particular plane uh, that has crashed, there's obviously an investigation, there's a determination of what caused it, and there's a specific solve for it, right? So I am aware of cases where, for instance, we know that, you know, I think it was reported a few weeks ago, lists of, uh, you know, rape victims have been sold online so as to create segments, etc. Now, that's a very, that's an extreme case of abuse of somebody's privacy, but just as how when you have a plane crash, you do not shut down flying. You do not shut down advertising and marketing. You actually get down into what allowed that to transpire. How did that data get collected? How did it get disseminated? Who are the bad actors? And what are the policies that influence it? So going back to your example of what is the value, the true value is this. The true value is, uh, if you think about it, Think about how many publishers have moved to paywalls, right? How many of those publishers who have moved to paywalls have actually removed advertising from their sites or their uh, assets? Almost none of them. Why? Because even when you pay for it as a consumer, it's not enough for them. And the, the to me, the bigger implication is... Um, there is actually this. This is actually a fundamental point about uh, democracy, 
which is if you want these niche viewpoints that are not based on um, mass publications to survive, you're going to need an advertising ecosystem that helps drive it. Um, the second point is, it's a very fair question to say, hey, why do you need my data to do ABCD things? And that really is a, a function of, are we, are we differentiating between sensitive data and data that is not sensitive? And are we tying that to the appropriate use case? So for instance, location data is sensitive in certain cases. Um, location data can be aggregated to say, are you going to a supermarket or not? What location data should not be used for, in my opinion, is to literally track you and say, where are you at 10 and where are you at 11, where are you at 12 and actually create charts, etc. So the problem, though, is that people have chosen uh, to combine all of this together uh, and create uh, and say that all tracking is bad. There is tracking, there is targeting, and then there is recognition. Um, and then going to your question of, is the industry doing a good enough job of explaining it? No, it's not. Um, and this is the way I would characterize it. A, a few years ago, you know, through Axiom, we, we keep doing research about people's attitudes towards data collection. Um, we did this in 2015. We did this in 2018. We're due to do a refresh. And this is what we know, noted. There are broadly three segments of the population. There are fundamentalists who believe in uh, privacy being an overriding human right. There are pragmatists, and then there are the unconcerned. And if you look at it, the percentage of fundamentalists in, uh, in 2015 was roughly about 32%. And then the rest were split between the unconcerned and the pragmatists. In 2018, it dropped to 25%, and the pragmatists actually increased. However, if you look at the policies, if you look at who is driving the policies behind privacy, a lot of that is either being driven by companies that have a huge interest in benefiting from it or fundamentalists. The voices of the pragmatists and the unconcerned are not heard. And um, if you look at the attitude of the pragmatist has largely been, let's just keep quiet. Let's not challenge what the fundamentalists are saying, lest we come across as people who are disagreeing with the notion of privacy. There's an almost a, either you're with me or you're against me kind of a methodology. And there isn't any nuanced discussion. And it is a complicated discussion, right? It's not it's not easy for people to appreciate identifiers and how you're fusing data sets together. And it seems creepy and it seems immoral and and people haven't really spent time to think about uh, what are the use cases and how they benefit from it. And, um, and that's why I call it, there is surveillance capitalism, which is what everyone in the press talks about, but there is privacy capitalism, which is a field of its own, where there are a lot of interested players and those in combination with the fundamentalists are pushing many of these policy initiatives and the people in the center, frankly, including some in the advertising and marketing industry, have chosen to keep quiet. Uh, and maybe there are more voices now uh, that are rising up against, hang on a second, are we really taking sensible decisions here? Or are we just, you know, simply kowtowing to one section, which, by the way, is a minority. It's 25%. It's not 100%.
Going back to the the flight analogy that you had and the flight safety and how that's something where there's regulation there and, and there's not only regulation, there's a regulatory body to enforce that kind of thing. The ad industry has tried to regulate itself. There have been programs like ad choices, but it feels like a lot of what's going on right now between what companies like Apple and Google are doing, as well as what um, some legislators are doing, whether it's you know California or in the European Union with GDPR, or now the conversation around the potential for a federal privacy bill. That all seems to sum up to the industry's self-regulation efforts haven't been enough. Is there a body that's actually ensuring that, okay, in a case where a list of rape victim names is getting out there and is being used for advertising targeting, that that is being investigated, that something is being done about it, and that others are not doing that kind of thing. Because I, I think like that kind of assurance that there is someone on top of that does feel like it's missing. As someone who's reported on this stuff for over a decade, I feel like it's missing. I, I would completely agree with you. I would think that the biggest fail has been that we in the marketing industry the advertising industry have not have not um, unfortunately taken self-regulation as seriously as we should have, uh, and therefore uh, there are a number of bodies that are doing a lot of work, but I don't think any one single body has the influence. And frankly, I think that train has passed. I, I, I don't think that self-regulation is the right answer. I do think, though, that a federal policy that clearly stipulates what the standards are uh, and is built on the principle of fairness. So it's let me give you an example of fairness and what I mean by the Federal Privacy Bill. So let's look at Apple. Apple came up with ATT, right? So if you look at Apple and you look at ATT, there's like um, a distinction in the way the pop-up comes out around allowing the app to track. So what they say is, do you want this app to track you across multiple websites, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera? And um, you basically say, allow. The first option that's given is don't. The separate, second option is given is um, allow the app to track. And increasingly what brands are doing is they're saying, okay, can we preempt that notice and put a notice of our own that sort of explains our use cases? But I don't know how many people have noticed. Go into settings in Apple, in any of the uh, new OS models, click on privacy. Right at the bottom is Apple advertising. You click on Apple advertising, this is what it says. The Apple advertising platform does not track you. It is designed to protect your privacy and does not follow you across apps and websites owned by other companies. You have control over how Apple uses your information. Great. First of all, what they are doing is they are, they are creating segments. So when you click on the About Apple Advertising and Privacy, they talk about contextual information, which does use your personal information. They are talking about segments where groups of people who share similar characteristics are grouped. Um, and they are saying that they will use account information, they will use your purchase data, they will use downloads, etc. Now, underneath all of this, there's the personalized ads tab. So I have turned it off. And what it says is, 
Turning off personalized ads will limit Apple's ability to deliver relevant ads to you, but will not reduce the number of ads you receive. So here's my question. Why is there a distinction between what Apple is throwing up for other apps and for itself? And who polices that? Right? And that is why you need one policy. So let me give an example. Let's look at real estate. There's a Freedom of Information Act. And underneath that, there is, you know, I'm not a lawyer, so I might not be getting this right. But there is a law that allows, that says every single real estate transaction is available to anybody to view. Now, different states have different laws which say some states allow you to uh, use that for marketing. Some don't. But here's, here's the important thing. If I conduct a transaction, if I buy or if I sell, it's going in a public ledger. It's available to all to see. I cannot lie to my neighbor and say I only spent a million dollars if I spent one and a half million. It's visible. I can form an LLC. I can try and get around it, but I cannot hide the price of this unit. And so it's created a very efficient marketplace. And by the way, all real estate people have access to it. Now tell me, how is that not surveillance capitalism? Every, it's your most personal piece of data. You bought this house. Everybody now knows about it. And by the way, everybody knows what was the premium you paid for that property. Now you can argue both ways, right? It allows actually, if you were a buyer, it's a great piece of information to have. You know, what were all the five last units that were sold in that building? And therefore, what should you pay for this unit that you're considering? On the other hand, for the buyer, it means there's no, there's no protection. You can't, you can opt out of some use cases, I think, where it's used for marketing or something, but you cannot prevent this information from being recorded because it's under Freedom of Information Act. So, you know, some of the industries and some of the players who are driving these privacy legislation have themselves benefited from this data collection. Now, your surveillance capitalism might be my privacy capitalism. So what I hope for is there needs to be consistency. It should not be up to Apple or Google or anybody else to interpret the policy. It should be these are the allowed use cases. You can use data for these purposes. These are sensitive data sets. They cannot be used. It does not matter whether it's collected in Wall Garden 1 or Wall Garden 2 or Wall Garden 3. It cannot be used. It cannot be used. End of story. And so when you create that common standard, then it makes easy. Then it makes things easier. I mean, the other part of this and why I keep talking about privacy capitalism is there are reports that have come out. Companies have spent something like $475 million on compliance for CCPA. Who's paying the cost for privacy? Do we actually believe that these companies are going to keep the costs themselves and not pass the costs down to consumers? So the question that I would have for you is, when you don't share that data or when you have these policies, it's not just going to impact whether you know, you're going to see an ad and whether a newspaper article is free or not. It's actually impacting the cost of goods because compliance now has become that much more onerous. And it's not just here. And now if you look at the laws by state, um, what I believe is that there are certain, certain provisions of some of these laws that are directly against what the other state is saying. 
So whether it's an opt-in or an opt-out, there is no consistency even between the state legislation. So if you're not going to have a federal law, the cost of compliance increases. And if I comply and I spend all that money, the first set of people who get impacted are small businesses. The, I believe the cost for CCPA for a business less than, I think, 20 people or 200, I, I forget what, is about $50,000. $50,000 is a lot of money for a small business to spend. And for what? Are you trying to protect sexual identification data? Are you trying to protect age classification? Or are you trying to protect yourself from ads? So not only are you going to pay more for certain goods and services, you are, you know, which are directly impacted like, you know, newspapers, etc. You're going to end up paying either more in terms of what that company is producing. It could be housing material. It could be B2B. It could be B2C. It could be anything. It's going to, it is going to spread everywhere. So I don't think that this is a fair system. It's not a fair system when I can choose how I use the privacy policy. And it's not a fair system when people have to pay the bill for privacy. And that is why I say privacy activists have not explained the true cost of privacy. It comes at a cost. It's not free. But it does feel like a lot of this also, that there's a fear of the unknown aspect. You know, for a long time with Facebook, for example, people talked about how people in the advertising industry talked about how great it was to be able to target ads as granularly as you can on Facebook, how it led to more efficiencies, you know, it... You know, people wanted more personalized ads because the ads were then more relevant to them. They weren't just taking up space in people's feeds. But then we got to a point where the other side of it started coming out. Oh, these targeting options can be used to discriminate against people to skirt housing laws and employment laws in order to, again, discriminate against people. And it feels like that's a lot or that's a factor in this conversation we're having here around privacy and data is that. Okay, what are the sensitive categories of personal information? You know, something like an IP address, you know, may historically have seemed, you know, like a relatively benign piece of data. But okay, but if we connect that piece of data with other types of data, is it no longer benign? Or are there going to be ways in which some bad actors can find ways to misuse, to abuse? this piece of information or having this piece use this piece of having this piece of information to discriminate against people what are your thoughts on that side of things i i so let me let me state something i'm i'm very clear that there, there are lots of bad actors who have abused the system and who have allowed innovation to go into spaces without thinking about ethics so let's be very clear that ethics is an area that's been ignored and has been, and there's been a mad dash for efficiency. I wouldn't even say it's effectiveness. It's just, it's just a drug of a lower CPM. I'm getting a lower CPM. I'm getting more relevance. I'm just going to go smash out. So let's be very clear that the promise that the that ad tech had way back 10, 15 years ago, that it would make things more personalized, more relevant, and therefore there wouldn't be so much of junk. We failed at it. So there is no excuse for that. Um, so that's the first thing which we should keep in mind. The second thing which we should keep in mind is I don't think this is a black or a white issue. I don't think this is a completely shut everything down or allow everything to go as it was. 
if you again look at Cambridge Analytica and the like, it happened because policies and laws were broken. There, there was a, actually no data governance and then the policy was broken if there was such a policy. But that is not an example of what happens at a day-to-day level on multiple cases. That's So for instance, there's a di- difference between persuasion and manipulation. The whole idea of marketing is based on, I can persuade you to try my product. It's based on most human relationships that I can convince you that my point of view is right. That's different from manipulation where I'm deliberately keeping something out or I'm trying to, um, you know, figure a different way, an unfair way by which I'm trying to convince you about my logic as opposed to just shouting in the street and saying my product is cheaper, right? So I think there are distinctions there. So again, to me, the first step is in saying there are certain data sets that cannot be used. There are certain other data sets that can be used, but in these circumstances, right? These types of people cannot be targeted, right? And, uh, you know, you don't like the privacy policies that companies are coming up with? Great, come up with a standard. Say privacy policies need to have this template. This is what they need to explain. They need to be using simple language. This is the kind of language that you should use. Make that into law, just as how the FCRA came up. I mean, think about it, right? Every single transaction you do, it gets reported back. And there is, however, identity theft, right? You do have identity theft. But have you stopped credit rating because there is identity theft? One is a crime. Committing a crime does not mean that you shut down the industry. What you have to do is regulate it better, have some clear set of laws, and, and you know, actually implement the damn laws. Now, here's my question. Do we really believe that with all these laws that we have around town, that the next Cambridge Analytica won't happen? Do we really believe that, you know, a lot of the uh, accusations that came from Snowden, which is what really started a lot of this conversation before Cambridge Analytica come, can you say that that has all stopped? Do any of the state, have any of the state actors actually signed up to these laws? Do you think GDPR is used by GCHQ? No. So the what's happened is all these issues have become conflated. Identity theft, the fact that there are actors using this for just blasting away emails are being equated to a respected brand sending you a piece of communication that might irritate you. The three, one is, a couple of them are crimes. The third one might be you know, it's not the same intrusion of privacy as the first one is. Like, you've got to have gradation. You can't just paint all of it together at the same level. Because the other thing which I would stress is, you go to the European Commission, of all the rights that they list, there is a right to a job. So what happens when this ad tech industry gets so badly regulated that only if you're big and if you're scale can you afford those compliance costs? You go out of business, people lose jobs. What about their rights? Who's doing the balancing between the two? And so I don't, that, that's what I mean by, I don't think people have truly thought about what a balanced ecosystem looks like. And there are other industries which have shown the example. FCRA is a great example of it. It regulates how financial products can be sold. Um, it regulates how, you know, there are laws that regulate how health information can be used. And we've already seen in the pandemic how some of those laws have not really helped out either. 
And we've had to have relaxation of those laws. So my, my feeling is what's going to happen is this wave is going to progress and there are going to be implications and consequences that people have not realized, which are going to ensue. And then there's going to be a rollback of some of these. And if there isn't a rollback, then I think, unfortunately, we're going to fall behind because if you're saying that a lot of the future is going to be built on digital commerce, digital commerce requires me to identify. I can't have 5,000 people clustered together as a group and say, all of you need to buy a vacuum cleaner, right? Like, and at some stage, if, if you stand up and say, I want to buy one, you're going to be identified. So there has to be an exchange of information. There ha now let's look at retargeting. And this is the thing that always confuses me. People say retargeting is irritating. It's bad for people. It's an abuse of privacy and trust, et cetera, et cetera. Then how come retargeting campaigns perform the best? How come so many people click on these ads and buy those products? And I'm not talking about bots. I'm talking about verified sales online. Why does that happen? The same, so we're saying that all these people, that people don't want to be tracked. Well, then why are they buying products on which they've been tracked? Because when you say that people don't want to be tracked, you're representing the views of 25%. There are other 75% who, frankly, look at it as either they're getting value for it or they really don't care. And they are going to start caring when they're going to realize, as Apple points out, that a lack of personalization or a lack of data collection does not mean that the number of ads come down. So news for you, right now you're receiving an ad and you might be feeling creeped out that they know that you don't have a dryer at home. Next, next time you're going to get an ad for, you might be 65 years, you might be 25 years old and get an ad for dentures. But you're going to get an ad because all these people, all of them, the publishers who support privacy and the publishers who mistakenly don't support, you know, who, who believe that the current ecosystem is good enough, all of them are going to need, somebody needs to pay the bill. It's usually advertising that pays the bill. So unless someone's come up with a solution of who's going to pay the bill, even for the New York Times, even though they charge me $25 a month for subscription, they still allow advertising. What happens when that ad revenue declines? And you tell me I have to pay $30 now per month. There are real implications for some of these. And I think we're not truly grasping how it impacts the whole ecosystem. So I'm all for a law, but I'm for a law that is consistent and that is based on fairness, which does not mean that somebody with less than 20 people in a business has to pay fifty dollars to $100,000 to comply with the law, and, and which is based on a notion of privacy accepted by 25% of the population. And it feels like from what you're saying, for that law to be impactful, that it would have to either delineate the specific types of data that are allowed or delineate the specific types of data that are not, are not allowed to be used. And, and CCPA does this to an extent. It has, I think there's like three tiers of information or two tiers of personal information. There's like personal information and then I think sensitive personal information, maybe, maybe the other one. And I think CPRA may even, which takes effect either next year or the year after I'm still pandemic brain on timelines and calendars um but like may go a bit further in that but what do you see as needing to happen there is this something where the industry and regulators and others privacy advocates need to 
define the data that is allowed or the data that is not allowed because it feels like defining what data is allowed would be somewhat easier or more realistic to accomplish. Yeah, I think I think there are some sensitive data sets that everyone sort of everyone understands is off the table. And I, I don't think there are too many people in the industry who are going to stand up and say, hey, we, we need those data sets. Now, there might be certain cases like health where, you know, certain hospitals and patients might have a totally different point of view. Uh, for example, I do want you to know that I have a certain condition so that you can consider me for a drug trial. And now that's very different from some arbitrary service saying, hey, this person's low, let's try and pep them up with a new coffee. Like those are two different use cases. You don't want one, you do want the other. But I think the biggest biggest problem starts with this idea of consent. The idea that for everything consumers need to opt in, do they even know what they're opting into? Who's going to explain all of that to them? That's where the CCPA is flawed. And by putting the burden, by, by saying that you need consent, You've just immediately right then and there uh, decided that Google, Facebook, Amazon, Microsoft, etc. are going to win. And that actually the other point that you're making to industry is the more siloed and fragmented you are and the more the wall gardens are that you build, the better it is for your business. So what's going to happen is you're almost encouraging the growth of monopolies because that's the only way you're going to be able to survive. And so to me, The first question that needs to be asked is, what does consent really do? Do people really understand what they're consenting to? So if on every single touch point and every single wall garden, every single time you want to do something, I'm going to ask you, give me consent. Are you really going to say no to consent for Gmail? You're probably not. But are you going to take the time to read through the 20 pages of the privacy policy that will come out? Probably not too. You're just going to give it. And and here's the thing. When GDPR first came out, everybody said, oh, there's going to be this massive fall and, you know, there's going to be a disappearance of data, et cetera, et cetera. There's been some. There's not been a lot. When CCPA came, we thought there'll be so many subject access requirements that will come out of California. There hasn't been that, that lot. Why? Because who the heck has the time to read through every single privacy policy, et cetera? So by saying consumer consent, you're actually not empowering consumers you're actually increasing their burden to police their own data. And by the way, the other thing to keep in mind is there's this other notion of, you know, my data is being used, but I'm not getting a share out of it. Okay, great. Let's look at this concept. Your data, here's the problem, right? My data as an individual by itself is not worth a lot. It is worth a lot when it is aggregated with others. And so, well, and isn't that the whole issue? Sorry to interrupt, but isn't that the whole issue with all of this? Like, our uh, platform's privacy and data reporter, Kate K, just had a story where she was looking at flock IDs. And flock IDs, for anyone in the audience who doesn't know, um, so Google's solution or one of their solutions to the third party cookie is federated learning of cohorts, which basically instead of having the third party cookie that identifies people at the individual level, groups people into these cohorts of, I think it's at least a thousand people in a cohort and it uses contextual signals to know, oh, you check out a lot of gardening sites. We're going to put you into a cohort of other people into gardening. And over time, these cohorts kind of develop and other interests are taken into account. And so the idea was 
this is going to be much more privacy safe because it's all contextual information and at the group level. But what some companies in the advertising industry are already starting to do is find ways to connect these identifiers um, tied to each flock, these flock IDs, to other pieces of information and basically creating new persistent identifiers out of flock IDs. They're not, it doesn't seem like they're able to do it based just on the flock ID, but it goes to this point of, well, I can take one piece of information that seems really benign and innocent on its own, but if I start connecting it to other pieces of information, then I can kind of unlock everything about a person or really identify a person at a level that maybe they didn't imagine when they first gave the consent. I mean, the other issue with flock is there's no consent actually given from people in the same way that with IP addresses, no one's giving consent for an IP address to be collected necessarily, or thinking like there's no real control over IP address for me as a person, other than if I'm using a VPN or now what Apple's doing with um, blocking IP address sharing in Safari or what Google has talked about with Netcatcher and potentially blocking IP addresses too. So isn't this the issue that the connectivity of this data is really where a lot of these problems arise. I, I think that we're looking at it. So firstly, a couple of things on the connectivity. It's wrong to say Apple doesn't know. Apple does know. They are coming up with their own ad solution. And in their ad solution, when they say they're forming segments, that means they are stitching data sets together. The question is, what they're saying is, trust me, I'm Apple. I, I can keep you secure don't allow the data to go out elsewhere. But that's not, that is not an absolute control over your own data. Because even when you shut your personalized ads down, they're still using your information. So that's the first point that I'd make. The second point that I'd make is you cannot solve for this through consent. Because just as you've explained, it is just too complicated. It's mind-numbingly complicated it'll just become really, really hard to control it. What you instead try and do is control the use cases. So I have identified you, but what am I going to do with it? What can I do with it? What can I not do with it? That's what we should focus on. Because here's the thing, uh, let, me, let me take this a step further. The next route, which, which is already coming is, so there is a stream of data A, there is a stream of data B, and let's say I've eliminated identifiers. I'm telling you that we've already run tests with machine learning, you can try and make the connection. You won't be 100% accurate, but hey, let's say I'm 60% accurate. What's the consent mechanism for that? And by the way, when we talk about artificial intelligence and machine learning, every single electric car on the road is reading your data and sending it back. So it, it suddenly becomes much bigger. How are you going to have a consent mechanism, an opt-in mechanism for each and every one of them? All that you're going to, able to do, be able to do is to define something very broad, and then every company is going to interpret consent differently. And all it's going to come down to is, is your service valuable to me or not? If it's valuable to me, I'll just press yes. If it's not valuable to me, I'm just going to say no. Now, but that doesn't truly, if, if protection is what you're looking for, none of these actually provide that. The consent mechanism doesn't. What you should be focused on is, what are the use cases that are allowed and under what conditions. And in my mind, if you regulate that and say, for example, that's why GDPR started with marketing and advertising are recognized use cases. CCP and CPRA don't. And GDPR does. Now, 
once you said, okay, it is a recognized use case, what can it be used for? Like if you, you know, when you go aggregates or quads, again, it needs to be standardized. The problem is the policy stays at this level. It doesn't come down. I personally do think that Google's approach is pragmatic. And here is why. Because there are a number of categories where I don't think you need to go to an individual level. If I'm selling a soap, I don't really need to know your location data or what your income is. or You know, there are certain categories where it makes no sense. You know, maybe it's great to know, but am I really going to use that in the use case? I'm not because my product is probably five bucks. I need 85% of the population to buy into it. So why does that company need to store that? So cohorts works fine. In fact, why thousand people? I might even aggregate it into a million. It, it makes no difference. There are other companies, like let's say I am a financial you know, company and I really need to know whether you can I upsell you to a credit card or not, et cetera, et cetera. But there, you already have a set of legislation for financial products and services. Go ahead, make it more stringent, right? But there... Probably because it is to do with sensitive financial information, there will be a consent mechanism that is more well understood because either I'm a bank, I already have a relationship with you, I'm telling you I'm trying to sell you a credit card, et cetera, et cetera. So there are going to be categories for which this quotes are fine. Your, your accuracy level, like how's, how much is your accuracy level going to drop when you want 90% of the population? Doesn't really matter. You can use contextual triggers. It's the other part where if you really dive into and say, which are the sectors that need this information? And what are the use cases that we would allow? And you will find that that is probably easier to manage than saying, I want to manage all these consent mechanisms. Because if you want to manage all these consent mechanisms, someone has to automate it. And so, okay, you've signed up to 25 different services and you've consented. So, so, so tell me, how do you keep track of it? How do you know that you gave consent to somebody and that person, that how do you know the consent flow? Suddenly, if you receive a piece of information, like you receive an ad, and it's from one of the brands to whom you said, I don't consent. That brand did a deal with another brand that you did consent with. Use that data and targeted you. Is it right? Is it wrong? It's, it's a mess, which is why I think that you need to go into... Firstly, start from the top and say, are marketing and advertising allowed to use data? If yes, for what purposes? And if you define the what they can use it for, everything else is defined in the what you can't use it for, right? And that mechanism, by the way, just so that the complexity goes away, should not be, it should not be at a policy level. It should be a law, which means it is not different for Google than Apple. Because then think about the compliance. I now need to do it one way with Google in one market. Then I need to do it with Apple in one market in a different way. It, it's just impossible to achieve. And in fact, that's why, you know, I, I just read somewhere that there's already disappointment with Apple because many consumers feel like they have said they don't want to be tracked, yet they feel like they're being tracked and they don't feel like Apple's fully standing behind their commitments. That happens because it's hard to execute, even if you have the right interests in mind, it's hard to execute because it's technically too hard. Now, some of the big broadcasters are saying, you know, and others have said it too, it's great to go back to the world of the 60s. You know, let's just do <laughs> broadcast advertising. The problem with that is there were three channels then or four channels then. Now you have hundreds and all of them 
in some shape or form are dependent on advertising to sustain themselves. So I think there's a trade-off that you have to make. If you say democracy is about free speech, there is free speech. But actually, it's a misnomer to say it's free speech. It is free speech supported by advertising. That's just the reality of it. So it is paid for in a way. Somebody is paying for it. Somebody is paying the bill for it. And the and brands are really, all that they want is they want to help develop a relationship with consumers and they want to sell their product. They don't want to change their political beliefs. They don't want to change their religious beliefs. They don't want to change their sexual beliefs. They just want their products to be bought. That's a large majority of them. There are bad actors. But I think laws should be focused on being consistent and not, it should not be that if I don't have a $1,000 phone, I can't aspire to a certain level of privacy. Because then that, what you're saying is, it is privacy capitalism. It then means if you can afford it, you'll get your identifiers wiped out. If you can't afford it, sorry, you're going to have to use this other thing and it'll allow it. Like, how does that even make sense? And so then we're coming down on privacy as a right. And also it's, you know, this side of things should be regulated in the same way that financial institutions are regulated for the information they collect. The health industry is regulated. And then, you know, bringing back, going, come in full circle, how travel and airlines are regulated as well. So, all right. Since we came full circle, we, we got very close to talking about blockchain because I feel like a lot of what we you were saying around, you know, consent and the management of data, we were steering in that direction. But I feel like that's a whole other can of worms. Unfortunately, we don't have the time for it. But Arun, this was a really great conversation. Really appreciate you coming on the show. Glad to be here. Thank you very much for having me. Absolutely. Thank you. And thank you for listening to the Digiday podcast. Please don't forget to share this episode with someone who you think would enjoy it. You can even rate us on Apple Podcasts if you like. And we'll be back next week with another episode.